0: Psalm 27. And that one verse that we sang tonight, um, (coughs) talking about some song to raise or prayer, that's that's the idea of that verse about being always ready to speak up for the Lord, um, wherever we may be. All right, Psalm 27. This night, (coughs) I'm going to focus on one verse (coughs) in this psalm. Few other verses, and but I'd like to read the whole thing. So if you'll follow along, um, I'd like to read the whole psalm, all 14 verses, just to kind of get a the, the, little bit of the impact of the whole psalm. A great, great, another one of the absolutely um, precious psalms. After I read this psalm, and after I we have word of prayer, I just want to share a, a, a story. Um, that really made this psalm um, really spe- special to me. It was how, well, actually, what it, it was what it meant to another person. Um, and so anyway, let's, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord; that will I seek after, that He that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. And let's stop for a second. What a, that, that? What a tremendous desire, the heart of David. I just want to be in the Lord's house all my life, as long as I live, all the days. Obviously, he's talking about down here, that house. All right. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, he shall set me up upon a rock, and now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy, I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me, and answer me. When thou saidst, "Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, "Thy face, Lord, will I seek; hide not thy face far from me, put not away, put not thy servant away in anger, thou hast been my help. leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies." Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted, unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Uh, just in tr- another thought, just for a second there. This has n- not, maybe not always happen this way, but notice David didn't see the goodness of the Lord until he believed, until he trusted. All right, to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Probably one of those many situations or one of those many situations when David was in a strait and dis, in distress and he trusted God for deliverance and then God delivered him. Wait on the Lord, another classic verse. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this night, for this time that we can meet together. Thank you for just a gorgeous day. We ask your blessing now as we um, look into Thy precious Word, Father. Our hearts are so important, and You desire to have our hearts. And so I pray tonight that, for the, with the help for the help of the Holy Spirit, to bring a message, to bring the Word in a way that will be instructive and, and beneficial and profitable. To everybody here tonight in person or anyone listening on the phone or even anyone who may listen in the future through Sermon Audio and we're thankful that we're still getting the word out these by these by these means. And so Lord guide us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, quite a few years ago I met a Christian man, his name was Joe, and I've I think it was at some kind of a f- conference down in the Lansdale area, Philadelphia, somewhere. And then I got just in the, saw Joe over the years, and they lived up here for a while, and then he moved for out of a while, and then moved back for a while. Anyway, I got a phone call that Joe was in the in hospice down in Dunmore, and he had cancer, and he would he requested a visit. So I went to visit him in the hospital, and um, he w- in the process of our together and I asked him, how you doing? He said, I'm doing okay. He said, I, when I was 55 years old, I got diagnosed with cancer. He said, I asked God for 15 years. He said, no, I wish I would have asked him for more because I'm 70. (laughs) 15 years had gone by and he said, I also asked God to help me to be a testimony through all this and that I would not have any pain. And he said, the Lord has answered my prayer. I have no pain. The doctor came in and said, Joe, it's time for your pain medicine. He said, doctor, I don't have any pain. He said, you've got to have pain. Everybody with cancer has pain. He said, I don't have pain. I prayed for the Lord not, not to let me have pain. As a testimony to him, he said, I have no pain. So he said, okay, you don't have to have it. I'm not going to force you. So anyway, in the course, again, as we talked, he said, would you read, for, read uh, Psalm 27? I said, Sure. And so I read the psalm to him. We prayed together. And every time I look at Psalm 27, now I think about Joe. And he got got released. He got got, uh, sent home. And I went to see him in his home. And he was sitting up. And we talked. And I I believe the last time I saw him was just a few hours before he died. He was still conscious. He was still talking. He was still thanking the Lord. And guess what? He still had no pain. Um, Now that's not always going to happen. But you know what? He asked. And God answered all right and so the first couple the first verse was really the one that that, that Joe really loved and, and so anyway we went over that scripture and oh, that's precious that's the practicality of God's word all right and and the reason why that was able to be done in God's in Joe's life by the Lord is because of what verse 8 says and that's our theme text for tonight when thou saidst seek ye my face my heart." said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. And we're going to talk about that. Um, Just by way of introduction, by way of an illustration, again, if you don't mind, um, when I was a boy growing up, I used to watch cartoons on TV, and uh, like Felix the Cat, Tom and Jerry, different ones like that. Mighty Mouse. But anyway, in the it sometimes in those commercial or, yeah, commercial cartoons, the one of the characters would, would have a decision to make. Alright, Am I gonna do the right thing or am I gonna do the wrong thing? And I'm sure you've seen those. And there'd be on his probably his left shoulder there'd be like a little devil whispering in this ear, and on the other side there'd be a little angel whispering in this ear. And do right, do right, do wrong, do wrong, whatever. And so, of course, whichever one he listened to um, would, would direct him. Of course, that's all make-believe. But however, based on the word of God, um, we could say that every Christian has two hearts, which are diametrically opposed to each other. We've covered this a little bit in our study, but one is the old nature or the flesh that always wants us to do wrong, and the other is the new nature, the spirit, That wants us to do right, and so we have. And in the Word of God, it'll just say heart. Um, And so we have to determine by the text and the context um, what is whether it's talking about our good heart or our bad heart. For example, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. That's not talking about our new nature. That's talking about the old nature. So tonight, what I want to do by God's grace, I want to just. Focus for a few moments on our the good heart, the new heart, and it that part of us um, that the the spirit, the heart. In this aspect of it, is the part of us that can communicate with God. It's the part of us that can respond to God, uh, can respond to His Word. It's the part of us that can worship God. That's our spirit, our God consciousness. And that's what David is talking about tonight. That's what he's writing about. And that was the experience of his life and his heart on this particular occasion, probably more than one occasion. Um, you know, when God appeared to Israel, and Bruce was going over that some more this morning in Sunday school. Uh, there's different scriptures, and I, the one I wanted, to, the one at the end, we were talking about scripture at the end of the message, and, or at the end of the lesson, and there was one time in, in Deuteronomy where God said, oh, that, that my people had a heart to obey, see, Bec- so, and that's what that's what we're talking about here, God wanted their hearts, and God wants our hearts, right, and so we sang, give me a faithful heart, likeness To thee, all right? And so, we're going to talk about that. Two things, really. Um, Number one, a responsive heart. And number two, an obedient heart. And of course, there's different ways that we could take this. We're just going to take a look at the scripture here, uh, a couple places. Starting off here in Psalm 27. And so, first of all, as you look at this, a responsive heart... We'll, we're going to see, first of all, that there was a reception. David received a message from God. He received a word from God. Notice in Psalm 27, 8, When thou saidst, Seek ye my face. And so, under this reception, I want us to think about something. And I, I mean, We know this, we know this, we know this, but there, there is a communication. When thou set'st. Um this reminds us and assures us that God does communicate with His people. Now, in this day and age, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of different ideas and opinions about how God speaks. Right? And I've written down four things here in this message: how God speaks to us, how God communicates with us. And, we, and I, really, I, I really believe, according to scriptures, that we need to limit God's communication to these four things. When people go beyond these four things, they're getting into trouble. All right? And that's why people are seeing all kinds of weird things. All right? In fact, I just talked the other day to a person who... Claim, uh, there's a church around here somewhere, again, that's claiming that Mary is appearing. And she's bringing messages... I guess it's not a Baptist church, by the way, <laughs> where she's doing this. And so, anyway, that, so there's those things. Um, anyway, so first of all, number one, uh, God speaks, God communicates through his creation. All right, we know that. Psalm 19, Romans 1, among other places, tell us that. Psalm 19:1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Romans chapter one tells us that through the creation we can learn about God's eternal power and Godhead, that is his deity, his authority, his rulership over the universe. So, so we can if we will listen, if mankind will listen and look, God will speak through his creation. All right? Again, not an audible voice, but, a, but he will speak. And it's interesting to me that, that Psalms 19 goes on to say, day unto day uttereth speech. In other words, creation talks about about God. It shows his power and his creative ability and God's love of beauty and color and all those kinds of things. And then, of course, Romans 1 takes it a little bit farther. The things that we can learn about God... By creation, why do you think there's so much emphasis on evolution? Because the devil doesn't want people seeing God and hearing God through creation. So that's number one. Secondly, he, he spoke to us through Christ. I'm talking about when Christ appeared on the earth, he spoke. And um, John, 8, 1.18, for example, no man has seen no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him him, Hebrews chapter 1, God has spoken unto us in these last days through his Son. And we know that Jesus Christ, as he was on earth, he traveled around, and he preached hundreds of sermons, and you know was speaking all the time, every day speaking about God, so that he communicates to Christ. And then number three, he communicates through the scriptures, through the written word of God, right? So he speaks to us that way. He, he communicates. Um, and he does it ba- in basically two ways. Through the scriptures, he speaks to us in our personal study of God's word. right? And I, so I know that we, we know these things, but you know, it's, it's such a blessing, and we need to be reminded that whenever we open this book, um, it's, it's God's word. It's, it's speaking to us when we read it. In fact, my Bible right here, I have Psalm 27, 28, 29, and 30 on this particular, these two pages, and at the top of my page it says, the voice of the Lord, because that's what Psalm 29 is all about, right? But God speaks through his word. So through our personal study, and then through, we when we hear somebody else teach or proclaim the word, we need to take that as God speaking through His Word when the truth is given, and by and you know that's God has ordained preaching is one of the ways preaching and teaching to get His Word into our hearts, into our minds, and so we need to remember that. And then, of course, that means out there too. Whenever somebody opens the Word to witness somebody or encourage a Christian, whatever that's that's God speaking through His Word. And then, fourthly, uh, God also will speak to us sometimes through circumstances. Um, by opening and closing doors. Now here's where the problem, one of the problems can come in, even though this is legitimate. Those so-called leadings of God circumstantially has to, have to agree with the written word. I heard a few years ago, again, I talked to somebody, and he said to me, Christian man, I have no doubt that he was saved, he said to me, God is leading me out of the church. And I said, well, you mean the church you're going to? <laughs> he said wasn't well, ours. He said, no, the church. I said, what do you mean? He said, God's just leading me that, that I don't need to go to church anymore, um, all that kind of stuff. And, and so he, and he told me about circumstances and opportunities. Oh, brother, you know, that's contrary to Scripture. Um, it really is. It's contrary to where so It can't be God's leading. Another person years ago said to me, well, God really gave me this wonderful opportunity. And the only thing that's not so great about it is I won't be able to go to church. And I said, sir, that can't be God's will. It can't be. But, but the circumstances lined up. Yeah, so did the ship going to Tarshish when Jonah wanted to run away from God. Look the circumstances were right there. But it was contrary to the word of God. So, but God does speak to his people. Now, here is... The second part, the now the communication. David said, "When thou saidest. David said, "God, you spoke to me, and here was God's counsel. Here was God's communication. Very simple. Seek ye my face. That's what God said to David. This tells us that God is inviting us to commune with Him and to seek His favor." His direction and blessing. Face. When the Bible speaks of God's face in this way, it's the idea of wanting Him to look upon us. Um, there are times when the Bible says God will turn away His face. He won't approve of the wicked, and the heathen, and so on. But um, seek ye my face, the Lord said. Listen to these verses. Isaiah forty five, nineteen says, I have not spoken in secret, in a dark place of the earth. In other words, some obscure place where nobody's going to hear. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek me in vain. I the Lord speak righteousness, I declare things that are right. And in this day and age, people don't want to hear what God the Bible says. Jeremiah 29.13 says this and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. In other words, undivided attention and our whole being. Matthew 6.33 but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 7.7 7, ask and it shall be given you. Seek And ye shall find, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And each one of those three verbs, those action words, ask, seek, knock, are not referring to a one-time asking. It's the idea of continuing, if that's the need. Sometimes we ask, and God does it. Sometimes we pray for something, and God answers right away. But even here, God is not... emphasizing necessarily asking for something, but just seeking God's face. Seeking an audience with the king, so to speak. Fellowship, communion, and then and, and yes, all the other things. Direction and help and strength. So the reception is a message from God. The response is what David's, his reply, notice, Psalm 27, 8, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. So there is, first of all, there is an inward response. My heart said unto thee. My inner man, my inner being. And so, words are important, but the heart is more important. And, and and as the Lord, when we think about as as the Lord Jesus Christ walked upon the earth, the hundreds of people that made instant, quick, quick decisions. You know, they received Him gladly, but until it, until the first trial came, or the first trouble, or the first opposition, then they left. I was just reading in in, well, in preparation for this morning's message um, in John chapter six, how Jesus was teaching the people, and he he, I mean. <laughs> you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they said, oh, what? And they didn't understand that. And he said, the words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And then he said, for the second time in John chapter 6, no, no man can come to me except the Father draw him. And they said, oh, that's hard. We can't take that. And it said from that, from that moment on, many of the disciples walked away. Or left and no longer walked with Jesus, all right? Because it wasn't there in their heart, not in their heart. And so, so it's an inward response. My heart said unto thee, Mary said, my my spirit hath rejoiced, my heart, my soul. Um, that was from her heart, inward. And then also there's an, an, an intentional response. Thy face, Lord, will I seek. And that's a determination. I will do it. Um, There was a song, and that stupid song goes through my head once in a while. I heard it years and years ago. And it was not a biblical song, but it was a popular song back in the early 70s. And it was, um, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray time I feel the spirit you know it was one of those first rocky you know types of songs well now David didn't say I'm going to wait till I feel the spirit no he said I'm going to just I'm going to seek God I'm going to seek God you know there's a principle in the Bible in season out of season and uh, not just when it seems right or we feel like it or, you know, the times are right and all that. No, all the time. David says, uh, "My thy face, Lord, will I seek. All right, now. Again, it's not, it's not difficult. It's not complicated. And again, it, as I see the scriptures in the Iola, I see two, only two ways that we seek God, really. Very simple. We, this is done through searching God's word. Can't cannot seek God apart from His Word. We really can't. I mean, if we want to find God's, not going to write it in the sky. You know, God's not going to leave a note in our mailbox, even though there's a book written that's shaped, that's taken the world by storm a few years ago. You ever hear of a crazy a book called The Shack? It's a book, it's a movie. Um, I know a few years ago, the church, the Methodist churches were just going gaga over this book and movie, where this guy goes, he's, he lost his daughter, she was kidnapped, she was murdered, horrible, horrible. So he goes to the mailbox, and in the midst of all this, he finds a letter in his mailbox, a letter from God. And the letter says, go to the shack place where his daughter was kidnapped. And so he goes to the shack and there's God. God is a 300 pound overweight black woman in the shack with headphones. So the man says, what should I call you? (laughs) And she goes, call me father. What are you listening to? I'm listening to rap. I'm listening to heavy metal. What? I didn't think God would listen to that kind of music. Oh, yes, I made all music. This is how this book goes. Um, God the Son is an Oriental man. And God the Holy Spirit is a cowboy with a flannel shirt, jeans, and boots. And this book says this can do for the world today what Pilgrim's Progress did in Bunyan's Day. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. That's, that's just one example of the garbage that's out there. Anyway, so, but that's not, God, that's, God's not going to put a letter in your mailbox. Well, maybe he will if somebody buys a brand new Bible and sticks it in your mailbox. Well, that's a letter from God, but you know what I mean. And God's not going to appear as a woman or a man. But the world is going crazy over these things. And You talked about it, and thousands will come. You know? But anyway, so he speaks, or we seek him through the word. And Jesus said to the this to the people, the, day, the Jews of his day, the ones that were opposing him, he said, he said, search the scriptures, search the scriptures, for in them ye think you have eternal life. Because the Jews didn't have eternal life, they thought they did because they thought they kept the law. And Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them ye think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. He said of Christ, and that's what the word of God will always direct a person will direct them to Christ, all right? An example of searching the scriptures is Acts 17, where it talks about the people of Berea. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily. What of those things were so? Therefore, many of them believed. Also of honorable women, which are Greeks and of men, not a few, and in a day of much, mu- much idolatry in the first century, where they had all kinds of things that they would seek, all the Bereans took the scriptures and they searched the scriptures. And what do they do that for? Well, they want it says, what are those things? Were so in other words, the new what this new thing that they had never heard before that Paul was preaching to them. They took it to the scriptures, and because of that. They believed, it said, may believe. So through the through the scripture. And then secondly, and these are t- together, this is done through surrendering before God's throne of grace, all right? Seeking him in prayer. Throne of grace. And Hebrews four sixteen. Let us come therefore, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right, go to him go to the word we, that's how we, we need to get his direction um you know God leads us through his word and sometimes you know if we're seeking the Lord's direction seeking his face and we you know I've had it I've, I've heard it I've seen it happen over the years of my life and I remember back in Bible college seeking the Lord's direction um, there was more than one time where I just where I read a verse of scripture it spoke to my heart and then lo and behold one, I remember one time so clearly it was Bible conference time and at Bible school and I had read these scriptures in the morning and the preacher who got up to preach in the afternoon he preached he mentioned the same exact verse in fact I had read the scripture where Paul saw vision a man of Macedonia saying come and help us the preacher that preached that day, he didn't know me from Adam. I had never met him a little bit, Pastor Dick from North Dakota. He got up there and said, hey, preach pray for us in Harvey, North Dakota. We're looking for a young man who will see the vision of the Lord and come over to Macedonia and help us. I, how could I? I couldn't, wiggle, I couldn't wiggle out from under that one. So I ended up going that summer, spent the summer working with him and so on. I mean, So the Lord will do that. We, he'll do that. He will, he will affirm and confirm things in our hearts. All right, let's take a look at one specific example in the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7. This is really one of the neat chapters of the Bible. And how God worked in the hearts of that Artaxerxes pagan king chapter 7 and verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylon. He was one of the captives and he got got to return. And he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. Alright? About Nine hundred years after God gave the law to Moses, here's Ezra. And he writes about this law that God of Israel had given. And it was being kind of there was kind of there was a revival of interest in the law after all these years. And the king granted to granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Notice it says that one thing about Ezra, he was a ready scribe. And so he'd been seeking the Lord already. And there went up, verse 7, some of the children of Israel, and of the priests, and the Levites, and the singers, and the porters, and the Nephonims, unto Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. He came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up up from Babylon and on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. Why did it take four months to get there? Verse 10 tells us why. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. And so Ezra had prepared himself. He had prepared his heart. And that, that, that meant not going about his daily duties. It meant that he gave serious time and you know, to seeking God's word and his law and direction. And, and, and then not only to, but he, see, he sought it so he might do it and teach it. Okay? And those of us who open the word of God, we need to make sure that the word of God speaks to us before it speaks to anybody else. If the if message is not in our heart, then, then we need, you better get on your face and, and ask God to get it into your heart. I'm serious about that. Uh, every message I ever preached in my whole life has always spoken to me before it spoke to anybody else. And that's very important, those of us who handle God's word. All right? And so he's going to do it. And then there's a copy of the letter. You know, Xerxes gave him this wonderful letter, just basically giving him a blank check and open. You know, whatever you want, whatever this man desires, you give it to him according to the good hand of God. Right? So let's take a look at the second thing. Let's go to Romans eight and Romans six rather. The first thing is a responsive heart. The second thing is an obedient heart, and we kind of see that obviously in Ezra. But we're going to see it also as Paul describes it of the Roman believers, the church in Rome—not the Roman Catholic Church, <laughs> the Baptist, <laughs> the Bible-believing church in Rome. All right, they were definitely Baptistic. What do they—I'm sure they probably didn't have the name Baptist—but they followed Baptist doctrine. Why? Because it's not Baptist doctrine; it's Bible doctrine when it's true to the word. So, but in, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 17, tremendous, wonderful, marvelous chapter, but here Paul is thanking God. In Romans six seventeen. he says, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you and so in this I see four things in this verse. I'm just going to give it to you really quickly. Number one, there's praise. Paul says, but God be thanked. It was God who did it. It was God who blessed the word. And um, as, And Paul's desire was to get to Rome, and he finally did get there. So praise God. God be thanked. You know, but, God be thanked, because in, in in contrast to what was going on before, in their lives, they had come to hear the gospel, they had believed it, they had trusted Christ, they were saved, and their lives were never the same. right? So there's praise. And then number secondly, there's the past. You were the servants of sin. And that's that word. There's there's a couple different words that are translated servants in the New Testament. This is the word that means bond slave. And I looked up that word a little bit just as a reminder to myself. And that's a word that talks about somebody who is absolutely owned another person and they have no rights of their own. They have no will, they have no say in anything in their life. They just do what the master tells them to do. Now in this case, the master was sin. And in reality, no matter how hard an unsaved person tries, they cannot master sin. They cannot they might try, they might quit, give up cigarettes. Maybe they'll, they'll do that for a while, or even the rest of their life. But that's, that, then there's something else. Something else, something else, something else, alright? An unsaved person can't help but sin. Because that's what they are, alright? That's what we were, every one of us, before we were saved. And some of us would be, would be able to tell. And I can, even though I was a real young boy, seven, eight years old. Um, I already By that time, I already had sins in my life that were, like, dominating. And that's what we were. He says, you were the servants of sin. That's awful. That's an awful place to be. If you, some of us were saved younger. Some were saved older. But do you remember what that was like? To be, to be a slave to sin? Not good. The present. You have obeyed from the heart. right? So they obeyed from the heart, and that's where, that's where salvation begins, right? In the heart. Believe with thine heart <laughs> that God hath raised him from the dead. And of course it says, confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart. But according to scriptures, you don't confess with your mouth truly until you believe in your heart. There are false professions that don't come from the heart. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about true professions of faith in Christ always comes from the heart. Always. That's where, that's where the Spirit of God works. That's where the sword of the Spirit pierces and pr- produces a response. It's the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing from the Word of God. So that was, was their present. Praise the Lord for that. And Paul thanked God for what he, what had happened in their lives. And then, number then fourthly, there's a pursuit. What did they obey? That form of doctrine which was delivered you. And so, there, and obedience is a performance. It's a pursuit of godliness and righteousness. The word form. Again, it can be good or bad depending on how it's used. Here it's very good. It means a pattern, a model, a visible form to be copied, and by extension, a pattern of behavior to be emulated. So doctrine involves behavior. It's not just words. It's not just principles. It's not just theological terms. It's something that we practice. in our lives. Teaching. Oh, I didn't get to that, did I yet? The word doctrine here means teaching or instruction. Okay? We have it. You know, we have that visible form right here. We have it in our hands. They didn't necessarily have that as much. They didn't have the, they had the Old Testament and the New Testament beginning to be formed. But I find it interesting that in the book of Acts it says that they delivered the decrees. There they they were, they were, they were things written down for the churches to follow. And so that form of doctrine. Let me give you another verse. That very same exact word is used in Matthew 28.20 where Jesus says, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So the word that's translated doctrine here and that's translated teaching in Matthew 28.20 specifically refers to the Christian teaching contained in the New Testament. What new believers and old believers and every other kind of believers need to be taught and need to observe, need to follow. So it's Christian instruction after salvation, all right? So it's not the word for teaching or preaching the gospel. That's a different word, and that's, of course, that word that's used in Matthew 20, 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, evangelize, make disciples. This is a totally different word. Notice it's the word, the form of doctrine, which was delivered you. That means, the word delivered means handed over, entrusted, committed you it was committed to them that was their responsibility. The idea is that the doctrine, the teaching, the instruction is to be received guarded, preserved and passed on to others. that's what deliver. It's a commitment. It's the same where Jude in, exhorted the Christians there to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered. And the idea there, once and for all. It's never going to change. It's going to be the same faith. It's going to be the same doctrine. It's going to be the same word. It's going to be the same instruction. That you're to keep that. Earnestly contend for that. I needed that. That was a great reminder at Sunday school of separation. That's very important. That we need to be separate from the the false teaching and all that of the world. Very important. There's, there's, too much, there's so much mixing. And it, get, it just really gets me when I hear these people say, well, we're trying to find common ground. Even between, you know, Christians and Muslims. Like, what, how, what in the world? Yeah, there's common ground. We believe in one God. But I mean, but there's no common ground. It has those questions. You know, what, what fellowship has light with darkness and so on? All right. And th- another usage of that term, let's take a look at Second 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. 2 Timothy 2.2 2 Timothy 2.2 and as Paul is exhorting Timothy and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And that's the same word teach. Give that instruction to the believer. And we need people that will preach the gospel. Again, that's part of it, but that's a different word. That's a different, different emphasis that Paul is giving here. That he want, he's telling Timothy, you, you need to, to find faithful men. Commit them to faithful men. And then those will be able to teach others also and go and teach others and teach others and teach others. And that's how the word of God is to be transmitted from generation to generation. And that's how it has been transmitted. People taught us. People taught them. People taught them. It came from them to them to them to us. Where does, what is it? To stop with us? No, it's supposed to go to others. From us. And here's faithful men. Um, And we need to pray for those and look for those that can take over. Um, So, same word, same word, teach. Well, we never like to receive a phone call or message informing us that a loved one is unresponsive. Ever got a call like that? I have. I can think about my one cousin. Twice I got that call. Both times it was alcohol and drug related. Hey, is this Pastor Myers? Yeah, your cousin's here. He's in intensive care. He's unresponsive. So I rushed to the hospital, and he came out of that one. A while later I got a call. Hey, your cousin. This Pastor. Yeah, Pastor Myers. Yeah, this. Uh, your cousin's in Sarah Hospital. Unresponsive. Thankfully, he came out of it. And sometimes they don't. Obviously, mo- probably most of the many times they don't come out of it. Sometimes they pull through. Sometimes they don't. Um, to be unresponsive to God's word is truly tragic. That's, that's worse than... That's, for the Christian, that's the worst thing. So we don't want to be unresponsive. But praise the Lord. Something that pleases the Lord greatly is when our hearts are responsive and obedient to him. When we, when we respond like David, thy, my, thy face, Lord... Will I seek you? When me respond like the Romans did, they obeyed from the heart the doctrine. And may it be our desire, may it be our goal, may it be our determination always to respond to him in the right way. And may we always obey him. And that, obviously those two things work together. Responsive, responsive heart leads to an obedient heart. And God will be glorified. And we will be blessed as we respond to his word. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the word of God. You've given it to us so greatly, so clearly, and so powerfully in these scriptures, and we thank thee for it. We thank thee for the Holy Spirit and his ministry of taking the word of God. Help us to be responsive to the word and to be obedient, and Father, to open our hearts to thee and to follow thy direction and And probably all of us are to some extent, but you know our hearts. If there's a a, a non-responsive attitude anywhere in our hearts and lives, Lord, help us to see that, help us to repent of it, and help us to respond to the Word of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, let's take our hymn books. 310, 310 is what I have here, so 310 it is. Whiter than snow. Whoops. There. Take this. All right. Let's, shall we stand, please? And we'll sing this, this hymn. Whiter than snow. And we could just say whiter and whiter and whiter. And whiter. Our prayer, our, our plea should always be more responsive, more obedient, purer, holier. We just want to keep. Keep going, keep growing, keep learning. All right? Um, let's uh, just sing the first and the third, all right? Great, wonderful verses. Verse 1, verse 3, of Whiter Than Snow.
1: Lord Jesus, I love to be perfectly whole. I want thee forever to live in my soul. Break down every idol, cast out every foe. Now I Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow, yes, whiter than snow. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 3 as the last. Lord Jesus, for this I most humbly entreat. I wait, blessed Lord, at thy crucified feet. By faith for my cleansing, I see thy blood flow. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow, whiter than snow, yes whiter than snow. Now Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Amen. All right. Father in heaven, thank you so much
0: for the the um, principle and possibility and the surety of cleansing and purity as we yield to the word of God, to the spirit of God. And even tonight, p- please work in our hearts and draw us closer to thee. Make us more like thee. And watch everybody as they go from here tonight to their homes. I also want to pray as the the meeting in Durier is probably getting near the critical part, the end of the preaching, the invitation. Uh, Pray that for a working of the Spirit of God and thank you, dear Lord, um, that we can pray for one another. And uh, Lord, I know that when when we have meetings, there are many pastors praying for us and and we share these requests and we are meetings and things and pray and just thank you for that, Lord. And so work powerfully. Um, even tonight. Watch over us. Again, we
1: pray. Help us to be faithful to thee. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.